You know, it's an okay thing to be excited about the Lord Jesus. You know that, right? Good. This morning, if you take out your Bibles, if you turn to the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, we are going to make it through the first chapter one of these mornings. You know, one of the reasons, and, and you're going to see this very consistently throughout, especially the epistles, that as the authors of the epistles, especially the, the Apostle Paul, as he writes, he sets a very firm foundation, generally speaking, in the first chapter of each book as a way for us to understand what follows. And that's extremely true here in the book of Ephesians. Because you're not going to understand spiritual warfare. You're not going to understand how to bring Christ into your home unless you understand who you are in Christ. Amen? You see, that has to be the foundation for our understanding of all Scripture, that who we are in Christ is as we are those children that God has intended us to be, then these things become much, much deeper truths to us. And so this morning, signed, sealed, and delivered. Now, some of you in here, I think you were old enough to remember that when Stevie Wonder, little Stevie Wonder, who was uh, 20 years old in 1970, uh, wrote that song. It spent about six weeks at the top of the R&B charts as the number one hit that year. Uh, as, as we look at this, you may have remembered our president used it as his lead-in song, his intro song, played it uh, frequently and often out throughout his campaign. Uh, that's not what this is about. <laughs> but it is that we are, by the Holy Spirit, signified. We've been testified of by the Spirit. We have been absolutely sealed unto redemption. And one day, praise God, we're going to be delivered into his marvelous heaven. Amen? Amen? We are signed, we are sealed, and we are delivered. And one day, uh, we're going to receive the fullness of that wonderful promise. And so this morning, would you pray with me as we pick up in verse 9 here in Ephesians chapter 1. Father, we have come as your people, Lord, to hear from you as you would speak to us by your word. Lord, we pray uh, that you'd remove distraction, that you'd take away from us those things that uh, perhaps we brought in with us, Lord, the cares of this last week, the things that have gone on in our lives. Perhaps even this morning, Lord, there's something that's happened that uh, is a distraction to us. We pray that your spirit would wash over that with your love. And now as we study your word, would you make it alive to us? We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. All God's people said. Amen. Verse 9 here in Ephesians 1, having made known to us the mystery of his will. Now notice, if you would, you can circle, you can underline how many pronouns point back to the finished work of the cross. His will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Amen? Who's it about? It's obviously the work of the cross. It is... The cross of Christ that's purchased our redemption. It is his blood that sheds our sin away from us. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, and please note that it doesn't say time, it says the times. Very accurately translated there in the New King James. It's not speaking of time as in a date. It's not speaking of time as in a specific period like a month or a year. It's speaking of a very specific period of time we know as the last days. The times that he might gather together in one, all things in Christ. One day that will happen. Amen? 
Right now, the world is a little bit fractured, if you might have noticed in watching the news. It's a little bit of a mess, amen? But one day, the Lord fully intends to gather together all things together in Him, in Christ. Both which are, notice where they are, in heaven and are on earth, all things. No matter where they exist, in Him. For in Him also we have obtained an inheritance, amen? I'm kind of looking forward to that inheritance. I don't know how many of you have actually ever received an inheritance. Uh, I, I got an inheritance one time. It was, it was back when you could collect Coke bottles. Some of you are old enough to remember that. We used to go around, you collect them, you take them back in, you'd get a nickel for the little ones, you know, a dime for the big ones. Uh, my, my grandfather was, was a major soda drinker, and so in his barn there was a stack of like 800,000 Coke bottles, and we thought we'd got an inheritance. <laughs> Went in, and you know, that's back when you could still buy a Coke for a quarter instead of a quarter of your paycheck. <laughs> but one day we're going to receive our inheritance, and that inheritance is heaven, amen? I don't know about you, I'm kind of looking forward to that inheritance. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Notice there's a reason for our predestination in Christ. It's not arbitrary. It isn't something that's just one list or another list that we're predestined in him, in Christ. We have a glorious future according to the counsel of his will. That we, and I want you to notice very carefully here, the pronouns that are used. The we here is focusing in on something very specific, and we'll illuminate it in a moment. The we, there are several different types of believers on the face of the earth, though all believers are believers in Christ. There are Jewish believers, and there are Gentile believers that still exist today. The Jewish people still God's chosen people, and there are Jews who are believers in Christ, believers in Messiah, the we. And there are the they, that's all of us together, the us, all of us together. There's the you when speaking to someone personally about their relationship with Christ. But we have believers of all kinds of shapes and sizes and colors. It is a wonderful thing that the body of Christ consists of all of us. But Paul is speaking very specifically here so we can understand what he's talking about. That we who, notice, first trusted in Christ. Who was the early church made of? It was made of the Jewish people. Almost exclusively, in fact, initially, it was made of the Jewish people who believed in Christ. That we should be the praise of his glory. You see, the Lord, in fact, did come to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. And it was God's design and desire that they would glorify him. That was the whole purpose for the Jewish people, was to glorify God, much as the church is to glorify God today, all of us who believe in the Lord Jesus. And so he says to them, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. He makes it very clear. He's speaking about different types of believers, though all believers in Christ. He says, you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so you can see uh, the picture that's being painted here of this incredible body of Christ made up of believers of all types, who is, notice that word, circle it please in verse 14, who is. The Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. It's not like the force in, in the Star Wars movies, amen? It's not, it's not like, 
Ooh, I've got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a who. It's a person. It's the third person of the Trinity. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who seals us with the promise. You see, that work that happens in us when we initially get saved continues on until we are glorified. Amen? It's an ongoing work. It's not something that happens one time. It's something that happens initially. The Holy Spirit is now in you. And then throughout your entire life on this earth, the Holy Spirit works in you to will and to do that which is the good pleasure of the Lord. Amen? So we begin to then walk and work those ways that God has for us by His Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? You see, we we have a guarantee of what's coming next. You you, you see, we can look at it this way. If I tell you I'm going to give you something, there there needs to be something that I place in your care that says I can actually perform on my promise. Amen? If I tell you I'm going to give you a check for a million dollars and I give you a couple of quarters and I say, well, trust me on it, you're probably going to go, nah. Sorry, it doesn't really look like that's possible. But if I tell you I'm going to give you heaven, and then I give you a heavenly life now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is a guarantee, it's a seal, that work that begins in you when you first get saved and continues through your life. How many in here are the redeemed of the Lord? Say, I. Yeah, you look at your life. We're not what we used to be, amen? Praise God. Uh, Amen. You can clap for that. I am not who I used to be. There have been substantive changes that have occurred in our lives that we can look on and say, that is the work of the Spirit, because I know that's not how I used to be. Pastor Don was teaching us this morning, yesterday morning at the men's retreat, and he was talking about the language he used to use. I can testify and say, yes, I grew up in a Navy family. I mean, we wrote the book, I believe, on, on profanity. And I'm not proud of that. I'm just saying, I mean, nobody in my entire family knew how to complete a sentence without using words that we shouldn't, as the body of Christ, use. And I remember when I first gave my life to the Lord, it's just like, man, I don't even know English. (laughs) It's like, I know these other words. I'm not sure where they came from, but they're not English because everybody else is using other words. And I remember the Lord transforming my life, in the, even in the manner of speech that I used, to where those words are now foreign words. They don't come up. I don't use them anymore. They're gone. It's a work of the Spirit. The guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. <laughs> How amazing is that, that the work that's going on in you right now is going to be culminated one day in a glorious new heaven and a glorious new earth and a completely redeemed and corrected life to where there's no more of you left. Right now there's some of you left, amen? Is there any of you left in you today? Because if you don't have any of you, I'll let you use some of me. Yeah, we still have some of that flesh, amen? There's a little bit of that carnal old nature that's still left in us, but one day it's going to be finished to the praise of his glory. Hallelujah. We look at this amazing work that's going on in our lives, our redemption, our forgiveness. It's all in accordance, remember, in verses 7 and 8, according to the riches of his grace, amen? We don't earn it. We can't get it. It's not something that we can work up to. You see, that's what religion does. Think about it for a second. You see, religion, all of them have moral and ethical demands that are placed upon people. All of them. And those demands generally are the way that you come to God. That somehow if you just do all these things and don't do these other things, that 
eventually you're going to be okay. But that doesn't save anyone. Because you can never do enough good deeds, nor will you ever be able to shun enough bad deeds to become like Jesus. Amen? I can prove that to you. The freeways. Amen? Think about it. You're out there, you leave church, and you're just, oh, it's just like, man, God spoke to me. How did you hear what the Word said to us today? And you're driving down there, somebody cuts you off. Oh, you're dead. You, you know what I'm saying. You, you start thinking things that should not be in the mind of a child of God. Praise God, there is no purgatory because I'd have to go there for like 18.7 billion years just for my driving. You know what I'm saying, right? Think of the things that aren't pleasing to God that are in your life, that are still there. You're still part flesh. The Spirit's at work in you. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. Praise God for His forgiveness. Amen? Because if I was trying to work my way, way there, if it were not by grace I'm saved through faith, I'd be a dead man spiritually. That is exactly what chapter 2 says, by the way. We who are dead, dead in our trespasses and sins, without hope. You see, that's why this is called a great mystery. You see, we get that wisdom, we get that understanding that we saw in the previous two verses, in verses 7 and 8. That wisdom, the Sophia of God. That knowledge that we can use correctly. You see, people often misunderstand what wisdom is. Wisdom is not some kind of special knowledge. It's the ability to use what knowledge you have correctly. It's to take what you know and say, oh, that's what it means, and this is how I use it. You see, God gives us that wisdom. God gives us that understanding. That's what we hope and pray is happening as we share the word together in this setting. Perhaps something maybe you didn't see before in the word of God comes to light for you. And so this great mystery begins to be unfolded for us. Our passage begins this way, having made known to us the mystery of his perfect, his wonderful, his glorious will in our lives. Has anybody ever figured out all of the component parts of the will of God in their life? The answer is no. We don't get all of it all at once. If we did, we wouldn't even understand it. But he does reveal these things to us throughout the course of our lives. All of a sudden you're going, oh, if, if God had spoken to me, hey, you're going to move from the mountains and you're going to go to South Bay, I would have said, you got the wrong guy. That's somebody else, Lord. I'm a mountain person. I wear shorts in the snow. <laughs> and all of a sudden, God begins to work, and he's revealing his will, and he takes these parts and these pieces and these parcels, and he just shares them with us. It's like, oh, that's you working in my life. And it's true in everything he does in us, to us, and through us. These wonderful words that mean so much to us. You, you see, as we start to think on these things, this mysterious thing. You see, when we think of mystery, we kind of think of the ooh, the ah. We think it's something special that only a handful of people can know. That's not what's being said here. It means really revealed. God reveals his will to us as his children. It's a mystery because he doesn't share it all at once. He gives us parts of the puzzle. You know, when you first come to Christ, you're pretty amazed that he even allow you to be saved, amen? And some of you, we, we, could, we need to talk later. Because you look at your life and say, wow, 
That's a, that's a wonderful work that God has done. It's true in each of us, but it's not the same in each of us. Amen? He, he works with us the way we are. That's a mystery to me. Because you see, it'd be a whole lot easier if God just made us all into robots, wouldn't it? We're just all kind of little walking Jesuses. We kind of shuffle along and we say amen a lot. And we do all kinds of crazy things. And, and he could make us like that. He's sovereign king of the universe. He could just punch us out like Christmas cookies, amen? But he doesn't do that. He works with you. He works with me. He works in my life. He works in your life. And in fact, the book of Colossians tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, for God was pleased to have the fullness of, in Christ dwell through him to reconcile all things, whether things on the earth, things of heaven, making peace through the blood. You see, he brought us all together in this amazing diversity that is this church in Christ. That's how he joined us together. That's how he links us in this crazy mystery called the church. You, you see, there's a, there's a corporate headquarters for our corporation. It's like Godco. Amen? It's like the God Corporation. And so this, this dispensation, the fullness of these times that he's talking about here, the word dispensation is actually an easy word to understand. If you just look at it, the easiest word is economy. It's the economy of grace, if you will. It's the time of grace. It's the fullness of that time. And God begins to work in our lives, and so he has a perfect will from corporate headquarters for your life. And that economy, he uses the, the currency of that economy is grace. And he works through you in grace to will and to do his good pleasure in his economy. He speaks to you, but he speaks to you in a time that only he knows. He's got a perfect plan, a perfect purpose for every piece of your life. We forget that. You know, we wander around, it's just like, well, I don't know what God's doing. I don't always know what God's doing in my own life, much less yours. But I know this, he wants me to know what he's doing. And so the more I seek him, the more I, Scripture says, will find him. If I seek him with all of my heart. You you see, he begins to work in the times in which we are in. Not the specific time as far as we're concerned, but the times. And in our case, that happens to be the last days. Amen? And he's at work in us in these times, in these Karios, not chronos. Chronos is time, like chronological time. Karios is the word that's used here in the Greek, and it simply means the last days. So the closer we get to the last days, the more we see the things revealed that we ought to see. And when you look at the world today, you know a few more things than you would have known, say, two or three hundred years ago. Amen? Think about what the difference would have been from the time of Christ to now. Look at the world and the way it is. Why it's so important that we study the full counsel of God's word so that we understand the totality of God's plan for us. And so he says here he's going to bring all things in heaven and on the earth together in one head. He hasn't quite accomplished that purpose yet. Amen? The whole world is not gathered together under the headship of Christ, but he is one day going to do that. Hallelujah. Not, well, may it be today. That's his goal. He's working towards that end. You see, all of creation will be brought back, whether it's spiritual or whether it's material. Both pieces are going to be brought back under the headship of Christ. Our our world's a mess, isn't it? The creation is a mess. 
We as people continue to be a mess. We are in great need of the headship of Jesus Christ throughout all of creation right now as we sit here today. One day that's going to happen. He's going to liberate. He's going to transform. And in fact, Paul wrote to the church in Rome and he said to them in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans that literally the creation itself is subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of those who subjected it to it. That's us, by the way. We're the ones that have messed up the earth. It started with Adam. It continues to this day. But now what happens is the creation is groaning. It's longing to be set free. One day he's going to do that. By his will, by his purpose. I can tell you what this is not teaching, and it's not teaching the doctrine of universalism. Some people believe that this particular passage says, well, one day he's just going to bring everything underneath his headship. He's not talking about something that's just ethereal. It's not a process or a principle. It is a literal bringing together in Christ underneath everything else will fall. That is exactly, by the way, the reason that we know that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Amen? But he also gives us the places that will happen, including under the earth. That at that point in time, the demons are going to go, Jesus was in fact the Savior. Satan himself will one day recognize Jesus Christ is Messiah. That's going to happen. But this passage is talking about bringing everything together under Christ. You see, Jesus taught very authoritatively that you could, in fact, go to hell. Matter of fact, Jesus taught more on hell than he did on heaven. Oddly enough, and I believe there's a reason for that. You see, though all men can be saved, not all men will be saved. Amen? The choice is yours. That's why there's two roads. That's why there is a gate that's narrow that leads unto righteousness. Amen? There's also a broad path that leads to destruction. You can go that way. It's not what the Lord wants. The choice is ours. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. You see there in Matthew 10, Lord Jesus himself speaking to all of us, saying, And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I think the church has lost its zeal for preaching on the subject of hell. And the reason I say that is this. If there is no hell, then it doesn't really matter if we're all going to heaven. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus said there's a hell, so people can go there, though it was never his intent. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 24, he reminded us that in fact, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, not for mankind. And so the Lord doesn't want us to go there. And so he says to us, look, one day I'm going to gather everybody together under one headship, but it's going to come at a great cost. And so, for us today, some of that is fairly mysterious. You know, I would love to stand here before you today and say, you know what, in the end, the Lord's just going to save everybody. But my Bible doesn't declare that. It says the opposite. Because if that were true, there's no reason for us to evangelize a single person. Because we're all just simply selected beforehand and we're all going to eventually get saved. No need for us to even preach the gospel. 
But people can perish, and people do perish. People choose the wrong road. And so he says for us, the ending's a happy one. In him, verse 11 says, we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He he points us back to his real purposes for us in Christ. He says, look, I want to give you an inheritance. And what I'm asking you to do is simply believe in me. And once you believe in me, be filled with the Spirit. And as you're filled with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. You know, we have rules and regulations in the body of Christ. You know that, right? You got the Ten Commandments. You have Romans chapter 1. You've got Galatians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There are some rules there. I think it's pretty easy to see. Here's the good news. It's not keeping the rules that get you into heaven. Hallelujah. It's being saved by grace. Amen? Through faith. So there is a way that we ought to walk. He provides the way that we can do that. That's the mystery. Because if he left it up to us, bum-er. Amen? Look at the world's religions. You can figure it out really quickly. The eightfold path. Spending a bunch of time in purgatory. We've come up with some real whoppers. Amen? It's like, okay, well, if you just do this, then eventually you'll reach nirvana. You'll become part of the great cosmic consciousness. And then your candle will go out. I don't want my candle to go out. I want to go be with Jesus. And he promises grace to get us there. And so he says, look, I've sealed you. For in him, verse 13 says, you've also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, after you heard the good news of the gospel, all of a sudden the light goes on. Hey, I'd like to do that. I'd like to have my sins cleansed. I'd like to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. And so he says, I'm going to seal you. So what does he do? This picture is this incredible thing that happens to us. Back in that day and time, if you were an official, you you carried normally around your neck or on your finger either a ring or what was called a signet. It was actually like a ring, but it hung on a chain around your neck. And it was simply something that you could press into wax. And when you press it in, it was a seal that you were the actual real person who made this agreement. And so when you made that agreement, it was sealed. And if that wax was broken, then the promise was broken. It bound both parties. And so the Holy Spirit is our seal. Put on your life to bind you to Christ for all eternity. Amen? You're you're done. You're in. It's also the same picture as, as what we have as a wedding ring or an engagement ring. Same exact picture for us this morning. This wonderful picture. When when you Uh, offer an engagement ring to your bride, what you're saying is, we're not going to get married today, but I promise to marry you. I promise to take care of you. I promise to provide a home. I promise to come and get you and take you to the wedding day. We will get married, and then we will live life together. Amen? The Holy Spirit does that for us. He says, here's my guarantee. My promise is that I'm sealing you. I am committed to you. You are committed to me. We will not depart ever for all eternity. It's also the picture of a down payment. When you go to Walmart and you're going to buy a bike and you give them 50 bucks and you say, hang on to this for later, the intent is because you've given them the down payment that you will come back and pay the rest and you will then get the bike. 
It's very similar to that, though not completely uh, equivalent. The price has already been paid, made the deposit. The Holy Spirit is upon you. The Holy Spirit then seals you for that time. And one day, marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? And then the glories of heaven. And so this incredible picture of our lives in Christ. The Holy Spirit seals us. The Holy Spirit guarantees us. The Holy Spirit will get us home. Sometimes as we look at our world, we, we kind of look down. Uh, I, I've had a ring on that finger for nearly 40 years. So, many, so long that I've actually worn a couple of them out. But I always put another one back on, and when I look at it, it reminds me of my bride. Amen? Imagine that the Holy Spirit is looking down at us and saying, that's my bride. That's the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ right there, sealed, and one day will be delivered. Amen? The angels are warming up in heaven, folks. I don't know when the Lord's coming back for us, but I don't think it's going to be much longer. I can't wait. During a Hebrew wedding, the very last day, the day of the wedding, in the middle of the night, very often, the bridal party would set out and go snatch the bride and take her to the wedding place. Can't wait for that day when the trumpet sounds and we're still here and the dead in Christ rise. You're sealed. Your destiny is sure. One day we're going to step out of time and into eternity. And I can't wait to see the face of my Savior, the bridegroom. And the whole time we're here, we can look at that work of the Spirit in our lives, those things that have already been transformed, already been changed, that amazing work that the Lord's done in each one of us, and go, Man, I know because that's already happened. I have absolute certainty that what God has said will happen in the future will come. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful, Lord, for the work of the Spirit in our lives. And God, as we think on these things, as we ponder your word, Lord, we ask that you would make them truth to us, that they would not simply fall on our ears, Lord, they would not just come to our hearing or to our minds, but to our hearts. Father, maybe perhaps this morning there are some that have come and never experienced that work, Lord, the work of the Spirit in salvation first initially. Pray that your Holy Spirit would convict and convince. Lord, of both sin and righteousness. Lord, that you are the only way, the only truth, the only life. And in fact, no one comes to the Father but by you. And so God, as we depart, leave this building, go our way today. Holy Spirit, come and fill us afresh and anew. Lord, thank you for sealing us. Thank you for bringing us near by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, thank you for that work that is ongoing in our lives. We bless you. We praise you. We honor you, Lord. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. All God's people said, Amen.